0: Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your love. We thank you, Lord God, for that supernatural love that cannot even be explained. It's unnatural and it was unstoppable, and we are grateful for it, Lord God. And now, in the name of Jesus, we ask you, Lord God, to speak. Lord God, as I hide behind the cross, make me the pen of a ready writer. Use these lips of clay. To minister to your people, that they might leave this place edified and uplifted by the power of the spoken word, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And the church said, "Amen," and "Amen," Hallelujah. Now, very quickly, Hallelujah. Last week we began to talk about the Comforter. Uh, we we talked about how He is a Helper. We talked about how that word Comforter is used describing the Holy Ghost. Uh, In four out of the scriptures that we read, four times we found it. And in the Greek, it means allos parakletes. And allos parakletes, allos meaning another of the same kind. Parakletes meaning one who comes alongside to help. Jesus said, it is expedient for you that I go. Because if I go, I can send the comforter. And he will not just be with you, but he will be in you. And that is so powerful, amen? And so we begin to talk about him as a helper. One of the things that we used as an illustration last week, I'm going to give it to you very quickly. I gave an illustration of buying a new comforter set for my bedroom. I don't know if you guys remember that. And uh, I was excited about the fact that we got a new comforter because I got to see it. Cherise bought it. She showed it to me. It was plush. It was thick. I remember having dinner and thinking to myself, I can't wait to go to bed tonight. And get up under that comforter and have that thing cover me and keep me snug all night so I can get some good rest, right? And so, to make a long story short, I get up to the bedroom that night to get ready to go to sleep, and the comforter is not on the bed. And I said to myself, who stole the comforter? And, and, and then my wife looks at me like, uh, duh, that comforter is not for use. It's just for show. It's just for decoration, and I asked a question. I wonder, or I thought to myself, I wonder, how many people have a comforter that's not in use? How many people have a comforter that's not in use? I also gave an illustration of an old movie. Uh, I believe one of the main actors is Emma Stone. Uh, they were trying to go back to show us the 1960s. Amen. Uh, a day where where, where racism was just ridiculous. And so they had these, these, uh, it was in Mississippi, and they had these African-American women uh, hired to work in white Americans' homes to help them keep the home. And they were helping them, and then the families were mistreating these women, uh, mistreating them verbally, mistreating them uh, physically. Amen? And uh, all they were doing was helping them keep the house. And so one of the other questions that we raised last week is have you been mistreating the help assigned to you to keep your house? Because your body, your house is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And that Holy Ghost has been assigned to you to help you keep the house. But sometimes what we allow come out of our mouth Some of our actions is a mistreatment to the one who's living on the inside of us, helping us keep our house. Are you hearing what I'm saying in this place? One of the questions that we raised last week that that when I did raise it, I remember some of you looking at me like a deer in headlights, was simply this question, does God have a soul? Does God have a soul? You remember that? Because this is where I want to take off. Does God have a soul? And some some of the scholars looked at me very quickly and said, "Uh, God is a spirit. I'm like, I know that God is a spirit. But let me ask you a question. What constitutes a soul? What constitutes a soul? And we talked about how a personality constitutes a soul. We talked about that a soul is comprised of three things. Remember? A, A mind, a will, and emotions. So we had to ask the question does God have a mind does God have a will and does God have emotions amen somebody and one of the things that we talked about because we did get a little bit deep just a little bit deep is that if God is a spirit is it possible that he might have some kind of part of him that is soulish because if he has thoughts then we have to assume he has some kind of mind amen And we know he has a will. I don't think we have to debate that too long. We know he has a will, and we know he has emotions. The Bible says he's a jealous God. The Bible says he's angry with the wicked every day. Are you hearing what I'm saying in here? And then I read for you about four verses. I'm not going to do it today, but last week I read four verses where God himself uses the term my soul. And he says, my soul will have no delight in you. You remember when we read those verses? Amen. So watch this. Whether God has a literal soul or whether he has what we refer to as an anthropomorphic term. An anthropomorphic term is something something that is used to help finite people understand something that's beyond our comprehension. And so let me give you an example. An anthropomorphic term is, is something like when you hear, and the hand of the Lord came upon Samson. Are we talking about a literal hand? A literal hand would suggest that God has a body but God is a spirit right so it's not necessarily talking about a literal hand it's talking about God's authority his power and his action coming upon this man so at the end of the day whether we're dealing with an anthropomorphic term whether when we say does God have a soul whether or not it means that he has a literal soul or there's just something about him that we can't explain That allows us to know that part of his character is that he has thoughts. Amen. He has a will and he has emotions. That I'm gonna let the theologians debate whether it's a literal soul or an anthropomorphic term. But all I know is that he has thoughts, (laughs) he has a will, and he has emotions. And we begin to talk about those three things last week. And that's kind of where we left off. We said, we know he has a mind because he says, uh, for I know the thoughts that I have towards you. Right? We know that, right? He goes on another occasion and he says, uh, my thoughts are not your thoughts. For my thoughts are, what church? Higher than your thoughts. So obviously... He has thoughts, amen. We even asked a question last week: What's God's IQ? You remember that? We said Einstein had an IQ of two hundred nine, a couple points above mine. And no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, no, trust me, no. Uh, but but what God, What's God's IQ? You know, and we and we and we defined it. IQ. We said it means intelligence quotient. And uh, does God have intelligence? Yes, He does have. Intelligence, But quotient is a formula uh, that people use to measure intelligence. And so God does not have an IQ because his, his intelligence is immeasurable. You can't measure it. Are you hearing what I'm saying in here? So we determined that God has a mind. Amen? He couldn't think of anything he hasn't thought of before. You remember when we said that? Because if he could think of something he hasn't thought of before, that means he can learn something. But he can't because he's all-knowing. He knows everything. Nothing occurs to God. You'll never hear God say, oh, it just occurred to me. Are you following me? He can't do that. He's all-knowing. He knows everything. So we know he has a mind. But God also has a will. Amen? He has a will. He has a will. Um, if, if I'm not going to go to it for the sake of time, but if you go to the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, in the later chapters, you're going to see a lot. People like the Apostle Paul say that they wanted to go to a particular city to minister and then say something like, but the Spirit forbade me. The Spirit did not allow me to go. In other words, the Spirit said, no, son, not this way. In other words, he made a decision not to allow Paul to go a particular way. Are you following? In other words, he didn't will it. Let me give you another example. You know about the gifts of the Spirit? In other words, He is the one who is the distributor of the gifts. When the Bible talks about the gifts, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is in charge of distributing those gifts. And the Bible says it like this. uh, He distributes the the gifts as He wills. As He wills. So, listen, if we know that the Holy Spirit has a will wouldn't you think it's a good idea to get to know him we determined last week that he, he he he's not just the third person in the trinity and for us not to make the mistake that because he's the third that he's less than one in two because we have we have a propensity to think that way but they are all three equal parts of the one god are you hearing what i'm saying Did you not know that most people, even until today, one of the number one questions that you hear from people is, what's God's will for my life? People want to know, what is God's will for my life? And they have someone living on the inside of them who actually knows. Who actually knows that Holy Spirit, the Bible says, searches the deep things, yea, the deep things of God. He knows the depth uh, of God. He knows your heart, and he knows God's will. Are you hearing what I'm saying in here? I got somebody living on the inside of me that knows God's will for my life. Oh, God, have have mercy in here. Hallelujah. Did you not know that there is a general will and then there's a specific will? I said there's a general will, and then there's a specific will. If you want to know about uh, morality, you know, uh, don't lie, uh, do not steal, um, honor your parents. Uh, If you want to know how you're supposed to treat your spouse, the book will show you. Uh, But when it comes to which spouse to marry, the book won't tell you. The book will give you guidelines. Come on, we're talking about his general will. The book will give you guidelines on the kind of person you should marry. But it's not going to tell you exactly who to marry. So, so, so you read the Bible to get the general will. You learn to hear his voice to get his specific will. Oh, God, have mercy in here. Are you hearing what I'm saying in this place? If you're blessed in here, shall glory. For thousands of years, God spoke through one individual. You read your Old Testament and you'll hear things like the Spirit of God fell upon Samuel... Or the Spirit of God came upon Elijah. The Spirit of God came upon Gideon. The Spirit of God came upon Samson. And the Spirit of God will come upon somebody, even some of the minor prophets like Hosea, those prophets. He would come on them, and God would speak through them. Very seldom will you find a place in the Bible where maybe there was a group, even in the Old Testament. uh, There's a a story where King Saul and a group of, of people were actually prophesying. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And, uh, and then you had the school of the prophets with Elijah. But seldom times it was God coming upon one person to speak to people. As a matter of fact, if you go to the book of Malachi and you do a little studying, you will find that Malachi being the last book of the Old Testament, Matthew being the first book of the New Testament, between those two books there was a span of 400 years. And in that span of 400 years, the scripture says God spoke to nobody. Could you imagine that? I couldn't live <laughs> he didn't speak to anybody so do you realize what the coming of the holy spirit brings when peter got up on the day of pentecost and he says listen what you're seeing right now is that which was spoken of by the prophet joel who in the last days god was going to pour out his spirit on all flesh and that your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Are you hearing that? He went as far as saying, hallelujah, that your old men will will have dreams, and your young men will see visions. I'm still seeing visions, by the way. (laughs) Just throw that out there. But are you hearing what I'm saying? He says, I'll put uh, signs in heaven and I'll put signs in the earth. Hallelujah. And and Peter got up and said, this is what that brings. In other words, I'm going to make it in the last day so that anyone who calls on me can hear me. I'm going to make it when I tear the veil in the temple, I'm going to give access to whoever believes in me. And you're not going to need necessarily somebody to... Hear from God to talk to you, but God will talk to you for yourself. Anybody in here got a personal relationship with God? Hallelujah. So if you have a personal relationship with God, stop asking somebody else to hear from God for you. Oh, God, help me in here. Yeah, yeah, because some of us do that. Some of us do that. it's, It's almost like me asking somebody... To go to my wife uh, and ask, uh, you know, do me a favor. Ask my wife uh, how she wants me to treat her for the next 10 years. Or, 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 or can you do me a favor? Can you go to my wife and ask her how many kids she, she, she wants me to give her? No. Yeah. You don't do that. But yet you got so many people that will come up to a man of God, a woman of God, and be like, uh, can, you, can you go to God on my behalf and find out what his will is for my life? And God, in essence, is saying, I got an answer for that. You come meet me. Come talk to me, and I will, I will let you know. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Hallelujah. Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not against counsel. Counsel is good. But let me help you understand that very quickly. I can hear God with you, but I can't hear God for you. I I said I can hear God with you but I cannot hear God for you are you hearing this preacher the prophet will come and confirm something that God has already been speaking to you about but if you ain't spending time with God and he ain't speaking to you about nothing don't expect for me to have a private conversation with him and him give me the lowdown on you I can hear him with you I cannot hear him for you if you're blessed in here, shout glory. glory. He has a will. He has emotions. God has emotions. When the Bible in Galatians 5 and 22 talks about the fruits of the spirit, how many of you know? Galatians 5, 22, write it down. That's homework. You read that. Okay, I can't go to it right now because I got a lot. I want to give you real quickly. So uh, Galatians 5, 22 gives you nine fruits of the spirit. Nine fruits of the Spirit. You know some of them. I'll name some of them off the top of my head. Love, joy, uh, peace, amen, patience, long-suffering, gentleness, self-control, amen. Those are some of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. One of them being joy. You know what joy is? An emotion. Your Holy Spirit has emotions. Amen, somebody. Joy is one of them. Let me give you another one very quickly. Put Ephesians 4 and 30 up on the screen. Ephesians 4 and 30. You guys doing all right? Ephesians 4 and verse number 30. Watch this. Listen to what it says. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can experience grief. You know what grief is? It's an emotion. What is grief? Let me give you a simple definition of what grief is. Grief is the sadness you feel when you lose intimacy with someone. Grief is the sadness you feel when you lose intimacy with someone. And that someone could even be a believer. Watch this. You experience grief... With Someone who was even a believer maybe and you know that they're in glory and you know that you're going to see them again one day But you experience grief because you're sad at the fact that you've lost intimacy with them Right now Are you hearing me? Listen to that text do not grieve the Holy Ghost upon which you have been sealed until the day of redemption in other words the Holy Ghost is what the Bible refers to as the earnest He is the down payment. Uh, A theologian put it like this. He is the engagement ring. The engagement ring is what seals you until the day of the wedding. Until the day of the wedding. But so watch this. Even though, watch this, you're going to see God. Amen. If you grieve him, you will lose intimacy with him. Are you following what I'm saying in here? Well, all right, let's do this. Let's, let's talk about what grieves the Holy Spirit, right? Because you just read a verse that said, do not grieve them." That makes me want to know what it is exactly that grieves them. So let's look at the context. Show me that same chapter, but verse 25. Ephesians 4 and verse number 25. You guys doing all right? It's Wednesday night. We're going to study a little bit. All right, watch this. These are the things that grieve the Holy Spirit. Wherefore, putting away lying, lying grieves the Holy Ghost. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Ephesians 4 is about the treatment of the body of Christ concerning one another. Amen? That's the context. Next verse. Be ye angry and sin not. Let me just generalize it real quick. Sin grieves the Holy Spirit. Sin grieves the Holy Spirit. Watch this. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. You know what God is saying there? You got like, 24 hours to let it go. Sorry. All you married couples, let me say that one more time. You got 24 hours to let it go. I'm going to leave that alone. I want to turn it into a marriage conference. Next verse. Watch, watch. Neither neither give place to the devil. Give me the next verse. Let him that stole steal no more. Stealing. Grieves the Holy Spirit. But rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good, that he may have something to give to him that needeth. So watch this. Not giving grieves. Oh, God. Grieves the Holy Ghost. Next verse. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Corrupt communication grieves the Holy Ghost. Oh, God have mercy in here. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Give me the next verse. It's the one we read. Look at this. Give me 30 one more time. Yeah. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Next verse. It continues. Let all bitterness, bitterness grieves the Holy Ghost, and wrath, and anger, and clamor, and evil speaking, evil speaking grieves. The Holy Ghost be put away from you with all malice all these things grieve the Holy Spirit and so if the Holy Spirit is experiencing grief on behalf of some of these things we lose intimacy with him you're messing up you're imperfect I'm not even talking about perfection Because you make a couple of mistakes, that doesn't mean that you lost your salvation and you're going to hell. But you've lost intimacy with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Amen, somebody. And you don't want to lose intimacy with him. Because he's your helper. He's the one that's leading you into all truth. He's the one that comforts you. He's the one that shows you things to come. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Ah, God have mercy in here. Thank you, Jesus. Let me give you something else that grieves the Holy Ghost. Let me give you an example. We talked about bitterness a little bit. Oh, I wish I had time to get into this story right here. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going I'm to paraphrase the story for you. I'm going to summarize it for you, and then I'm going to challenge you to read it on your own time. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 is talking about an individual whose name is Philip. Philip was not one of the apostles. Philip was probably what many uh, uh, scholars refer to as a deacon. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Philip goes to a place called Samaria. To make a long story short, he preaches the word in Samaria. The Bible says that the people of Samaria receive the word of God. Not only do they receive the word of God, the Bible says that they believe. Not only do they believe the word of God, the Bible goes on to say, and you need to check this for yourself because it's very important. The Bible goes on to say that they were baptized in the name of Jesus. So watch this. They're in Samaria. Philip is being used of God to do all kinds of miracles. People with the palsy, people who were lame, people who are full of unclean spirits. The spirits were being cast out. People were getting healed and delivered. Amen. So the people believed The people were baptized in the name of Jesus, and then they sent for the apostles. And the apostles came, and when the apostles came, the Bible says, to make a long story short, that they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. I mean this place. And watch this, to make a long story short, because I'm trying to get to a particular individual, there was a man named Simon. Simon was a sorcerer. The Bible says that when he saw that the power of God was released by the laying on of hands, he said, let me also have this gift that whoever I lay my hands on, they will get it too. And let me buy it. He said, i pay for it. Here's the thing about Simon that you have to understand. When you read the story in context, he was also one of the ones who heard Philip preach. And the Bible says he believed. And the Bible says that he was baptized in Jesus' name and he walked with Philip. Oh, you got to read your Bible. And, so, and then when the apostles come and they lay hands, he got like super excited at what he saw. My question is, because the Bible does not specify... What did Simon see? What did Simon see? Simon saw something. Now, here's what you have to understand about Simon. The Bible says before his conversion, he was a sorcerer. He was a sorcerer. And if you read the beginning verses of chapter 8 of the book of Acts, the, he had the people deceived into thinking that he was some great god. God. And he was using sorcery to deceive the people. And the people were convinced that he was a great one. In other words, I don't know exactly what he was using. They weren't just magic tricks. This guy had power. This guy was using the occult. He was using witchcraft to deceive the people. And he had some tricks up, in, up his sleeve, obviously, because the people were convinced that he was some, some great man of God. But this particular fellow saw the power of God working through Philip and ended up not just believing, but getting baptized in Jesus' name. And then he saw something that messed him up. He saw the apostles come lay hands on those people who believed and got baptized, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And this man said, I want that. Now, Peter speaks to this man, and he kind of reprimands him, and he tells him, hey, man, your heart's not right because you're making a mistake to assume that you can buy the gift of God. First of all, it's a gift. You can't buy it. To buy the gift of God, and then he tells him, repent, which really in this text means change your mind. You you, got to change the way you're thinking because how many of you know you can be delivered and not free? God, help me. I said, you could be delivered. Some scholars want to argue that he wasn't saved. But when you read the context, the context clearly says that he believed and he was baptized in water. But they want to just assume that to make make it fit their doctrine. But I want to submit to you that you can't take away from the context. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so anyway, to make a long story short, Peter goes on and tells him something even more interesting that's really where I wanted to hang my nail. Acts 8.23. Put it on the screen. Acts 8.23. You guys doing all right? I know I just said a whole lot of stuff. Just read chapter 8. Everything I said came right out of there. Watch this. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And this is another reason that even though the context says he was saved and baptized, that maybe he wasn't saved or maybe he wasn't baptized but let me help you in here you could be saved and still be bitter doesn't say nothing in here you could be saved and if you're not careful let bitterness get inside of you not only that watch this you could be saved and still be struggling I know i ain't gonna get a lot of eight because we in church I said you could be saved and still struggling I'm going to put it to you another way. You could be saved and still have a bond of iniquity. Do you even know what iniquity means? Iniquity is not necessarily the sin. The sin is the event. Iniquity could be what's in the heart. It could be in the heart even before you act it out. Iniquity is really a bent. It's It's a lean towards sin. Oh, God, help me in here. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Let me give you an example. When it comes to sexual sins. Yeah, I'm going to go there tonight. When it comes to sexual sins, watch this. The iniquity is not the event itself. The iniquity is the lust in your heart. It is the thing that causes you to lean toward that event. Toward that that action. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And for some people, when it comes to sexual sins, it ain't even lust. It's rejection. It's because they've been so rejected that they'll do almost anything in order to gain some acceptance. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And if you're not careful, understand that iniquity is bondage. And you can come out of the cave like Lazarus, out of the cave, out of the darkness, and still be wrapped up and need to be loose. Are you blessed in here? Hallelujah. Those kind of things will grieve the Holy Spirit that's living on the inside of you. If you're blessed in here, shall glory. So watch this. I don't need you to say amen, but I'm coming in your kitchen for you a little while. I hope you don't mind. Watch this. If you're confessing to God, I'm sorry I did that. I'm never going to do it again. And then you find yourself coming back going, I'm sorry I did that. I'm never going to do it again. And then you find yourself coming back and saying, I'm sorry I did that. I'm never going to do it again. You're bound by iniquity. But you could get free. God, help me in here. I said, you can get free. Uh, Hallelujah. I got one hand clap there. God bless you, sir. Amen. (laughs) You can get free in Jesus' name. That's why I believe in the power, watch this, of deliverance. And that's why I believe in the power or the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes you come out of that cave, but you still, you still have not changed your mind. you come out of Egypt, but Egypt's still inside of you. Are you hearing what I'm saying, church? Are you blessed? All right, I got about 10 minutes left. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm just going to start it. Amen? Go to Acts chapter 2. Yeah, Acts chapter 2, and, and, and put verse 1 on the screen. I'm going to try to go fast. Amen. Let's see how this works out for us. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Next verse. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. Next verse. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Utterance meaning uh, language. In the, in the Greek it's glossolalia. It's where we get the English word glossary. Amen, somebody? So watch this. Here, here's the thing that I wanted to get at very quickly. Because... I want to ask the question in here because every time you hear people talk about the move of the Spirit or the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden uh, we refer that to, oh, those are those Pentecostals. They're Pentecostals, right? right? So I got, I got a question for you very quickly and, and, and just cater to me for a moment, okay? Uh, is the Holy Ghost Pentecostal? Just stay with me. Because you know, usually when you're introducing something, somebody to somebody else, you know, you say, "Hey, this is so and so," and then they want to know, like, where you're from, right? That's one of the other questions that come up, like pretty much right away. And so here, here's the Holy Ghost, Hallelujah. Uh, who is he? Where he's from? Is he? Uh, is he Pentecostal? Now, let me submit to you that you're going to find that many have defined Pentecostal differently. There is a cultural definition to Pentecostal. There is a historical definition uh, to Pentecostal. And there's even a denominational definition to the word Pentecostal. So let me at least try to help you understand. I'm trying to be as practical as possible without going too deep into this. Amen. Let me give you a practical uh, idea of what this is. Amen. If, If by Pentecostal you are talking about you can't wear pants... And you can't wear makeup and ladies have to wear their hair in a bun. Can I just say that's bondage? Let me leave that alone. I say, If you if you're, if you're <laughs> that's bondage. If your hair let me stop. Listen. If that's your definition. Of Pentecostal, then I'm gonna say, no, the Holy Ghost is not Pentecostal. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But if you tell me that by Pentecostal, you believe in the work and in the person of the Holy Spirit, and, 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 and you believe, watch this, in the fulfillment of the feast of Pentecost, and you believe in all nine gifts of the Spirit and all nine fruits. Of the Spirit, and you also believe that those gifts are for today, and that we need those gifts in order to walk the righteous life that Jesus has called us to walk, then I would say, Yes, the Holy Spirit is Pentecostal. Are you hearing what I'm saying in this place? I'm trying to make you understand this hallelujah, because some might turn around and say, Yeah, but you know, John was Baptist. Y'all praying for me? (laughs) Y'all need to pray for me because, anyway, the denomination Baptist comes from a heavy emphasis on water baptism. Now, can I submit to you that we here at HPC believe in water baptism, but we are not part of the Baptist denomination. We here at HPC also believe in spirit baptism. But we are not necessarily a part of the Pentecostal denomination. This is why when the Lord put it in my heart, we went non denominational Because if I had to put a denomination on it, it probably would have been, been Baptist. Are you understanding what I'm saying, church? I'm just full of it today, ain't I? Watch this. What is, I'm going deeper. Maybe I'll just make you laugh a little bit before we dive in in five minutes. Watch this. What is Pentecost? Pentecost, watch this, is one of three major feasts, major feast that you'll find in the Old Testament. There were seven feasts altogether, but they fell up under these three major feasts. One was Passover. The other one was Pentecost, and the other one was called Tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles. All the Jews would have to come to Jerusalem three times a year to celebrate these three major feasts. They would have to come at the third month of the year, the seventh month of the year. I mean, the first, the third, and the seventh. I think that's what it is. Hallelujah. Let me just double... Check. The first month, the third month, and the seventh month. Amen? Now, you know what Passover is. They celebrated Passover. Can I teach you a little bit? Passover was when they would kill the lamb, right? And then they would put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And you know what happened, right? The deaf angel came. When the deaf angel saw the blood, it had to pass over. Amen? It saw the blood and had to pass over. And death couldn't touch him. That's powerful. Amen? But watch this. Pentecost was the celebration of the law given to the people on Mount Sinai. You remember that? It would happen 50 days after the Passover. 50 days after the Passover. Now, how many of you know, watch this, Pentecost, the word penta means five. Yeah, if you ever heard of a pentagram? You're talking about five sides. Pentagon, uh, Pentateuch, the Old Testament is the first five books of the Bible. So, Penta, five in the Greek, kosti, can I get a little Greeky? Kosti means to the 10th power, to the 10th power. So, five to the 10th power is 50. Are you with me in here? 50 days after the Passover, the cloud that they followed in the wilderness, you know, the cloud uh, by day and the fire by night, w- descended on the mountain and gave them the law. Fifty days after Passover, you celebrate Pentecost. Now this is, do I got any scholars in the room? This is interesting. This is the kind of stuff that I like, okay? Uh, if you know anything about When Jesus died, the Bible says that he resurrected and he walked on the earth alive after his resurrection for how many days? Can anybody tell me? 40 days. 40 days. And then the Bible goes on to say that for 10 days, the the people were in the upper room praying. 40 and 10 equals 50. But... Let's remember that Jesus spent a couple of days in the ground. And so there has been some controversy by some atheists to try to debunk the scriptures in saying that uh, there's an error because from the time of Passover, which is when Jesus died. By the way, Jesus died right on Passover, which happened on a Friday. Amen, somebody. And when you count from Passover... And you count the 40 days that Jesus showed up alive, and the 10 days that they were praying, and you include the time he spent in the ground, it's more than 50. It's more than 50. So many say that there's an error there. But how many of you know that God don't make errors? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Show me this scripture. This is just food for thought. Leviticus 23 and 15. Leviticus 23 and 15. You guys doing all right? Yeah, one minute, and I ain't even close. Watch this, and ye shall count unto you, listen, 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 from the morrow, you check this whole story when you have time, and ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths, which is 49, shall be complete. Next verse, even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall ye number 50 days, and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. Here's what I'm trying to get at. Listen to what he tells them. Because God had already pre-calculated in his foreknowledge how much time Jesus will spend in the ground. Listen to what he tells him. Start counting the day after the Sabbath. Which is Sunday. Which is the day Jesus gets up. He says, so so when you're talking about counting... He said, don't count don't start counting on that Friday. Count on Sunday. And from Sunday onward, you will see that the numbers fit. God help me in here. Are you blessed in here? Jesus showed for 40 days because 40 is very important in the Bible. Jesus was tempted 40 days, fasted 40 days. The rain in the floods of Noah's day, happened for 40 days. The traveling through the wilderness was 40 years because 40 is significant. Uh, When you you separate uh, Moses' life, you will find three divisions of 40. 40 in Egypt, 40 in the wilderness, then 40 leading the people back to the promised land. Are you following what I'm saying? Divisions of 40. 10 is imperative too because 10 is the number of testing. Did you know that? Ten is the number of testing. You got the Ten Commandments. Come on, somebody. You have Daniel and his Hebrew friends being tested in Daniel chapter 1 for 10 days. You have 10 lepers. It was a test of thanksgiving. And then you have the tithe, which is the test of the 10th. Ten is the number of testing. So what happened at Pentecost? Oh, man. I got to close. Listen, what happened? Show me Acts 2 and verse 5. Let me just at least read it, give you a little bit, and then hopefully whet your appetite for the next time we come together. Show me Acts chapter 2 and verse number 5. Acts 2 and verse... You guys doing okay? Okay. And they were dwelling at Jerusalem... Jews devout men out of every nation under heaven. Could you imagine that? Out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, in other words, when the people heard the noise, now this could be one of two things. It could be the noise of the sound of the mighty rushing wind, or it could be the noise of the people speaking in tongues. Amen. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded. One translation says, confused, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. Could you imagine that? Next verse. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? In other words, by saying are not these Galileans, these are unlearned men. These men should only know but one language. And they're speaking in several. And how hear we, every man, in our own tongue wherein we were born. Look, and then it goes on to name them. Parthians, help me God. Medes, Elamites, uh, dwellers of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia. Uh, Phrygia, Pamph. Pamphylia, uh, Egypt, and parts of Libya. Libya and Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Oh, God. Now, I, I can't open this up. Because then I won't be able to close the service. But I want to say this to you. I want you to notice how. If maybe in your translation. Rather than confounded, it. It said confused. Here's the thing that got me. Uh, the people heard the noise. And they got confused. Watch this. But they came together. And I was reminded immediately. About a story in the Old Testament. Where something like this happened. But in reverse. And it was in Genesis chapter 11. That talks about the Tower of Babel. Now, if you remember the story of the Tower of Babel, you had at this point in time, everybody speaking one language. Everybody was speaking one language. And so what happened? God had a purpose for the people. He wanted them to fill the earth. But the people decided, you know, we ain't going nowhere. We're just going to build a tower. We're going to build it really high. We're going to build it all the way up to the heavens. And God said, that's not my will. That's not my will. So what does God do? God, the Bible says, comes down. And confuses their language. And so watch this. They get confused and they separate. But in Acts chapter 2, they hear the different languages, get confused, but come together. In the Old Testament, they hear the different languages and they separate. Because they don't understand each other. In Acts chapter 2, they hear the different languages, but they get together because they do understand each other. God, have mercy in this really. Some theologians will call it, watch this, some theologians will call it the divine, listen, the blessed reversal of the curse of the Tower of Babel. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And, and, and listen, this is another thing you have to understand that's so powerful about this story. On the day, listen... 50 days after the Passover, the day of Pentecost, is when they're celebrating, watch this, when they got the law on that mountain, amen, on Mount Sinai. When they received the law, you have to understand what happened. The Bible says that there was fire on the mountain. Not only was there fire on the mountain, there was a a great noise. So there was a great noise, and there was fire. And if that wasn't enough, watch this, 3,000 people died. In Exodus and God wrote the law on tablets But on the day of Pentecost in other words in the New Testament when the fulfillment of death of Pentecost came watch this The Bible says that there was a great noise as of a mighty rushing wind not only noise fire and 3,000 people didn't die 3,000 people got saved on that day and God wrote the law watch this on tablets of flesh God, help me in here. Are you blessed in here? Do you see how it's changed?